I don't know if you know this, but we're halfway through 2021. Can you believe that? Already, 26 weeks in and 26 to go. We are in the middle of 2020. Today's the day. And so I wondered this week if maybe, just maybe, God has a message for us in the middle. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the middle. And you might know right away that that's probably the book of Psalms, and you're right. But if you want to go to the very middle, you got to go to Psalms chapter 118. Psalm 118 is the middle chapter in the Bible. Now, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. But Psalm 118 is the very middle. There's 594 chapters before it. There's 594 chapters after it. If you add up all those chapters without including Psalm 118, interestingly enough, it equals 1,188 chapters, or 1188, or Psalm 118, verse 8, which happens to be the middle verse in all of the Bible. There's 31,174 verses in the Bible. So the halfway point, verse number 15,587, is Psalm 118, verse 8. So maybe by now, like I was, you're wondering, on the middle Sunday of 2021, does God maybe have a word for us from the middle of the Bible? Anybody besides me and Pastor Chris want to know what the Word of God says in the very middle? All right, here it is, Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. How many of you would say that's a good word in the middle of 2021? Come on, somebody. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. I'm... I'm talking about civically elected humans. I'm talking about lab coat wearing PhD certified humans. I'm talking about YouTube channel humans, Facebook famous humans. It's better to trust in the Lord and to take refuge in him than tweeting humans. Come on, somebody. How many of you know this is a good word for us in the middle of 2021? And as I was meditating on this word in the middle of God's word this week, I was encouraged. I, I thought about the verse in Psalm 46.1 that says, The Lord is my refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. I love that phrase, ever-present. He's a refuge, ever-present refuge. And I know the Bible says that, that God is the first and the last. It says he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. But can I tell you, that doesn't mean that God started it and God will be there when it ends. That means that he's the A to the Z. He's not just the alpha and the omega. He's everything in between. Can I tell you today that God is faithful in the middle? God's faithful in the middle of whatever you're facing. 
God's faithful in the middle of whatever you're up against. And I know a lot of us today, you feel like that, man, things are tough right now. I'm not, I I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know how this is going to play out. Well, I want to tell you today on this middle Sunday of 2021, that right in the middle of your Bible is a promise from God's word that God's love is for you, that God's help is for you, and that God's son is for you. Psalm chapter 118 is a song of deliverance. It's a song of celebration, and it begins like this. Look at it with me, the first verse, and it's It's a song for the congregation, so everybody's going to have to read it out loud with me together. Verse number one, Psalm 118, verse one, let's read it together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I feel like you could probably do a little better than that, but I'm going to give you another chance later. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah was, was communicating God's word to the people of Israel, but it was not a popular word. In fact, he was prophesying that judgment was coming, that captivity was coming, that they were going to be taken into uh, exile, and and the king was so frustrated with the word that Jeremiah was preaching that he actually had him arrested, incarcerated, and locked up in the center of the courtyard of the king's palace. So you can imagine what it must have felt like to be Jeremiah in that moment, to be faithfully obeying God, saying what God wants you to say, doing what God wants you to do, and yet now you're stuck in the middle of the king's palace courtyard. And it's in that place, in that situation, that God speaks a prophetic word to Jeremiah. Right there, in the middle of that circumstance, God says to him in Jeremiah 33 and 11, he says, Jeremiah, there will once more be a voice heard, the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. God told Jeremiah, in the middle of that situation, Jeremiah, you're going to hear a song again. Do you know what song he told Jeremiah that he was going to hear in the middle of his situation? He told him Psalm 118. He said, here's what you're going to hear again, Jeremiah. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. And God promised Jeremiah, he said, I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. So in other words, God is saying to Jeremiah, in the middle of a difficult situation, hey, I want to remind you, I'm not finished yet. I know it doesn't look like much, but you're not there yet. Fast forward in the the history of Israel to the time of Ezra. The people have been in captivity. They've been in bondage. Jerusalem was destroyed. It was a desolate place. The Bible says that not even beasts or animals or birds lived there. But God uses Ezra to bring some of the people back, and they begin rebuilding the temple. This was the temple that, that Solomon had built. And so Ezra says, we're going we're gonna to be, begin to rebuild the temple. And so they start pouring the, the foundation out. They spread out the foundation in Ezra chapter 3. And something interesting happens in Ezra chapter 3. Right in verse 10 and 11, Ezra stops the work and he says, we're going to have a worship service right here for what God has done. And I'm sure the people said, what do you, what do you mean? We, we're, we're nowhere near finished. Ezra, we're in the middle of the project. 
I mean, all we've done is poured the foundation here. But Ezra says, no, 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 we got to stop right here, right now, and we got to give God praise. And Ezra led the people in a song. You know what song it was? Psalm 118. That's right. You can read it in Ezra chapter 3. He led the people, and they sang, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Right there in the middle of an unfinished project was a song and a promise that God is going to complete what he begins in you. And I love, I love what David writes in Psalm 118 verse 24. Verse 24 says this, the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today. And be glad. It's an incredible promise that somebody might need to grab a hold of today. And it's simply this. God is working this very day. You may not be where you want to be, but go ahead and praise God anyway because you're not where you used to be. Amen? (laughs) He's working this very day. Right in the middle of it, God is working. Paul said it like this in Romans 8. He said, and we know that in all things God Works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I just encourage somebody today? Whatever you're in the middle of, whatever you're moving through, keep moving. See, that's the key to being in the middle of something. Keep moving and you won't stay in the middle. That's why David said in Psalm 23, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David understood, even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't plan on staying here. Come on, amen? I don't plan on staying here long. I might be going through it, but by the grace of God, I'm going through it. And so the psalmist says, this very day, you need to know that God is working. So there's three messages right here in the middle. In the middle of your Bible, and I believe a message from God for the middle of whatever you might be facing in your life. Three things. Number one, this is a message of God's love. And you can divide Psalm 118 into three Sections And the first section is verse 1 through 4. I don't have time today to read all of the verses, all 29 verses to you today. You can read it on your own this week and let it bless you in a new and a fresh way. But Psalm 118, verse 1 through 4, is a message of God's love. We, we already tried it once. We're going to give it a little more effort this time. Psalm 118, verse 1. Let's read it together out loud. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Can I just tell you today, David was right. He gave us a reason to give thanks to the Lord. He said, you know why you ought to give thanks to the Lord? He's good. He's good. Now listen, if you thank God because he's done something good, good on you. That's great. But you need to modulate your worship to a higher key. Because David didn't say we worship the Lord because he did good or because he's going to do something good, or because we hope that he would do good. He said we worship the Lord because he is good. In other words, goodness is the essence and the nature of who God is. He's just, 
he's good. That's who he is. And, and he said, because that's who he is, we ought to always have a reason to give God praise. We should always, whether you're at the beginning, the end, or the middle of a situation, you can worship God because God is good. And one of the greatest ways that he communicates his goodness to us is with his unending love. And that's why I said his love endures forever. Now, now we say love, and, and we mean a, a hundred different things. But in the original language of the Bible, there were different words that we just translated as love. And you need to know that this love that endures forever, this is hesed love. It's a word that speaks of the unending love, the great love of God. It speaks of the mercies of God. And can I just tell you today that one of the greatest demonstrations of God's unending love in your life is his mercy. It's the mercy of God for us that is unending. See, Psalm says in chapter 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 says creation itself praises Lord. But you know what creation can't describe for you and I? It can't describe the mercy of God. Creation doesn't know anything about that song. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5 that right now there are a thousand times 10,000 angels encircling the throne of God. They are worshiping the king of majesty today, right now. But you know what song they're not singing? They can't sing a song about the mercy of God because the angels haven't been redeemed. You see, the mercy of God is not giving you what you deserve. It's the grace of God that gives you what you don't deserve. It's his mercy that doesn't give you the punishment you do deserve. And the word of God tells us in Romans 6 that the, the wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's the unending love. It's the hesed love. It's the mercy of God that communicates to us his unending love. I, I love the way it Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2 and verse 4, he said, But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So I just want to echo what the psalmist said this very day. This very day is a day of God's love. Lamentations 3 says it like this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm going to tell you there's a message in the middle of God's word that meets us in the middle of our Bible to remind us in the middle of whatever we're dealing with. This is a message of God's love. Secondly, it's a message of God's help. If you read verse 5 through verse 18 of Psalm 118, what you discover is this is David's testimony. David's testifying about the faithfulness of God. He's testifying about the goodness of God. Look at verse 5 with me. We're not going to read all of it, but I just want you to see a part of this testimony. He says in verse 5, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. I love that picture. I don't know if you've ever been hard-pressed before. 
if you've ever been de-stressed before. But to be hard-pressed is, is to feel hemmed in. When you're hard-pressed, you feel like you don't have a way out. When you're hard-pressed, you feel like you're out of options. There's, there's nowhere to turn. I don't, I, don't, I don't have any more choices. I'm, I, I'm stuck in this place. I'm, I'm hard-pressed. And David said, that's what I felt like, but I cried out to the Lord. And when I cried out to the Lord, all of a sudden, he brought me into a spacious place. In other words, when I, when I cried out to God, all of a sudden, I realized I'm never out of options when I serve a limitless God. When he cried out to God, he recognized that I'm never out of opportunity if I serve a God that can do the impossible. And so what felt like a difficult place, what felt like a distressed place and a hard-pressed place, all of a sudden when I got my eyes on God, when I called out to him, God brought me into an open space. God brought me into a gracious place. And I recognized I'm not defeated. I'm not stuck here. Look a little farther. He says in verse 6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I I love that question. I mean, before he was in a hard-pressed place. Before he didn't have any more answers. But now that he's cried out to God, he looks around and goes, What can can mere mortals do to me? I mean, you can't eat me. What are you going to do? Look at the next verse. He said, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Do you see the shift in perspective? David David was saying, I'm hard-pressed on every side. I'm out of options. But now that I'm crying out to the Lord, the Lord is my help. He's brought me into a spacious place, and he's changed my perspective that now when I look at my enemies, I look in triumph. Before, I looked in defeat. Before, I looked in despair. I don't know if anybody here today needs to get a different perspective, but I'm trying to help you in the middle of whatever you're dealing with to know that God is your help. He's your help today. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 10, 28. He said, do not fear or be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And so David had that fear of the Lord. He had a right perspective of of God. And so because of that, he could run into the battle with confidence. He didn't have to despair over the numbers of those that opposed him. You know, it, it was Napoleon who said, God is always on the side of the biggest battalions. That's what he believed. But this psalmist warrior in Psalm 118, had a different perspective. He understood that those who call on the name of the Lord, those who cry out to God, God is for them, and their enemies will be cut down. In fact, if you read verse 10 through 12 of Psalm 118, you'll find there's three times that David repeats the phrase, I was surrounded by my enemy. My enemy surrounded me. I was surrounded by my enemy. But every time that he says that, he follows it with a statement that says, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. There's a confidence to David saying, I can see in the natural I'm surrounded by my enemy. But because my help is in the Lord, because I view my, my enemies triumphantly, I will cut them down. He says it 
it almost sounds it almost sounds a little egotistical. There's a little swagger here in the Psalms, if I can't say it that way. But David is saying, I'm going to do this. And the reason I know I'm going to do it is because God is my help. And let me just tell somebody today that God is never going to do for you what he is equipping you to do for yourself. See, some, some of us, we need to get that. We need to understand that. Because David didn't say... In the name of the Lord, you're going to be cut down. He said, in the name of the Lord, I will cut them down. In fact, I, sometimes I like to, to, to just listen to the Bible in different translations. You know, just to hear different word choices and nuances to get some depth of meaning. And, and I was driving my van up to, to help with the students uh, coming home from camp on Friday. And I listened to Psalm 118 out of the message translation. If you ever read the message, you know, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty rough and, and raw translation of Scripture. But, but I was re- listening to it in the car, and, and David said three times, I was surrounded by my enemies, but I put their face in the dirt. <laughs> I, I love that. He said, I, I put their face in the dirt. They surrounded me, but I put their face in the dirt. It's probably like Pastor Chris with that kid in the youth. He's like, I, I put their face in the dirt. I got to be honest, man, something in me really loved that translation. I don't know if it was something spiritual that loved it or something in my flesh, just to be honest with you, but I liked it. I thought, man, there's a confidence here that David has. Can I just give somebody a message that might be in the middle of a battle? The, The word for you today is that you plus God equals a majority every time. You can't be outnumbered. When God is on your side, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, when David went out and faced Goliath as just a teenager, he didn't go out and say, the Lord's going to take you down. No. David said, I'm going to take you down. I I think some people do such an injustice to to that famous Bible story by by teaching or believing that somehow, like, the Holy Spirit guided the rock and caused it to hit Goliath and, and win the victory. That is not what happened. David was a marksman. David was accurate. He spent years of his life out by himself in the fields with the sheep, with a stone, in a sling, and he would swing that thing and hit a tree, and then he'd swing that thing and he'd hit a rock a little farther, and then after a while, he'd take that stone and he'd fling it and he'd hit a bird, and he started getting really accurate with that thing, till finally one day he found himself out on the battlefield against a giant, and he said, man, look at the size of that guy's forehead. I'm going to take you out. David said, I will strike you down, and I'll cut off your head this very day. The carcasses of the Philistine army, I will feed to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David said in verse 47, he said, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now, I love that verse, but don't miss the significance of David's part. Because a lot of us, we kind of halfway quote that. And we say, well, the battle belongs to the Lord. And when we say the battle belongs to the Lord, we think that means I'm going to sit on my hands. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. But David said, the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to take your sword and cut off your head. I'm going to put your face in the dirt. 
David understood that I have an ability that God has given me, and I might be in the middle of a situation, but God is going to help me, and me plus God is always a majority. Somebody needs to be reminded of that today, that God is your help. Yes, the victory comes from the Lord, but we are his instruments. The third message that I see in the middle is a message about God's son. If you read verse 19 through 29 of Psalm 118, what you discover is this is a messianic psalm. And what that means is this is a prophetic song about Jesus. Old Testament song about the coming of the Lord. How cool is it that in the middle of your Bible is a song that reminds us that Jesus is the center of it all? I thought it was pretty cool. Jesus is right there in the middle of this song. You know, Psalm 118 was what was called the, one of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. In, in other words, we, we say the book of Psalms, but the book of Psalms is actually several books. And, and the Hallel Psalms were chapters 113 to 118. And these were the songs that they celebrated the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. And so every year when they would have the Passover celebration, this was the playlist. This was the worship list. This was the album they were turning on. They were singing the Egyptian Hallel songs, Psalm 113 through 118. So imagine it with me now. It's, the, it's Palm Sunday. Jesus is now on the face of the earth, and he's coming into Jerusalem. He's riding on the colt of a donkey. And all the people are celebrating the Passover as they're coming into the city. And all the people begin to wave their palm branches and sing. What song do you think they might have been singing in that moment? You guessed it. Psalm 118. In fact, it says in Psalm 118, verse 25, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Or those words are translated, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And if you know the story of Palm Sunday, you know that's exactly what they did while they sang that song. They cut down the palm branches. They waved the branches. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they all filed in the parade, and they all joined in the procession as they went into the holy city. How incredible is it that right here in Psalm 118, we get a picture of that moment. It gives a whole new dimension of the text. And in Psalm 118, verse 19, David wrote prophetically. He said, open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Oh, what, are, what are the gates of the righteous? What did he mean by that? Well, look at the next verse. He says, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Who was he talking about? 
Who was he talking about being the gate that the righteous could enter who has become our salvation? Well, Jesus wanted to make sure that the metaphor wasn't missed on anybody. So in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the gate. I'm the gate. So who enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and they'll go out and they'll find pasture. A little farther in Psalm chapter 118, verse 22, David writes, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, if if that sounds like familiar New Testament language to you, it is. Five times in the New Testament, that verse from Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23 is quoted. And all five times, it's talking about Jesus. It's saying Jesus is that That cornerstone that the builders rejected, the religious leaders, they wanted nothing to do with him, but God has taken him and made him the chief cornerstone of our faith. And right after that, right after David writes about the gate being opened, being the one that brings salvation, and the cornerstone that was rejected becoming the chief cornerstone of our faith, right after that, he gets to verse 24. And that's where he says those words, the Lord has done it this very day. So that's a promise for anybody in the middle of any day that God is working. But prophetically, when David said this very day, he wasn't just talking about God's done something on any day. He was talking about the day that Jesus becomes the gate, that he becomes the way of salvation. He was talking prophetically about the day that the rejected stone becomes the chief cornerstone of our faith. How cool is it that a thousand years before Jesus ever stepped on the face of the earth, that God would, through the psalmist, give us a song in the middle of the word of God that reminds us that Jesus, the son of God, is at the center of everything, that he's the center of it all. I don't know what that does for you, but for me, it's a good reminder of the omnipresence of our God, that he's present right now. He's present at the beginning of your story. He's present at the end of your story, but he is present right in the middle of it. And that ought to encourage you to know that whatever you're in the middle of this very day, the day of salvation, the day of Christ's coming, opened the gate, opened a way for God's love to ransom you, to rescue you. So today, what we're going to do to end this service is we're going to respond in a moment of communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to invite you to grab the communion cup that's in a cup holder in front of you. The little clear cellophane layer on the top can be peeled back to get to the little wafer, and I want to ask you to just take that out and hold on to it for a moment. In just a few minutes, we'll peel back that second plastic layer to open the juice. But as the worship team begins to to play in just a moment, I want to go to one more scripture in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 26. This is during the Last Supper. And it says in verse 26, while they were eating... Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat. 
This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, that, that's what we're celebrating in this moment. These emblems that we hold in our hands, they represent the instruments that God used to bring forgiveness of your sin, of my sin. And can I just say, if maybe the thing you're in the middle of today is a battle with sin, I can't think of a better, more appropriate response to the invitation of God's grace than to receive communion. To, to literally say to God, Lord, as I physically receive this bread and this juice, God, spiritually, I receive right now the forgiveness of my sins. And, and if that's where you're at today, I want to encourage you, let that be your altar moment. Let that be your response today, right where you're sitting, to just say, God, as I receive these emblems today, I receive forgiveness of my sins. I put my faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It was enough to pay the penalty for my sin and to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. I receive forgiveness today. Now, look a little farther with me. In verse 29, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 30 says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, just let me give you a little context, and then we're going to pray. This is the Last Supper. Jesus has just given his last teaching to his disciples. He, he washed their feet, teaching them about servant leadership. In just a few moments, he's going out to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be under such anguish and inner turmoil over the cross that he knows he's about to bear that, that Dr. Luke, in his gospel, describes for us that Jesus would sweat drops of blood. It was a medical condition still known today as hematidrosis. That literally the, the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands under extreme stress began to burst and it's as if he was sweating blood. After that, he'll be arrested. He'll be mocked. His beard will be plucked out of his face. He'll be punched. He'll be abused. He'll be scorned. This is the longest night of Jesus' life. So it it made me pause and just wonder when verse 30 says in, in the middle of the longest night of his life it says they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives I, I just had to wonder what hymn do you think they sang in the middle of the darkest night of Jesus' life you guessed it it's Psalm 118 because we know this is the end of the Egyptian Hillel, they always ended the Passover celebration with the final song. And so here Jesus is on the darkest night of his life, in the middle of dealing with the turmoil 
of carrying the sins of the world. And he leads his disciples in singing these words. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. This song, placed in the middle of the Bible and sung throughout the Word of God, from Jeremiah to Ezra to the New Testament to David, it's a message of God's love. It's a message of God's help, and it's a message of God's Son. I want to ask you to bow your head with me and close your eyes all over this room. Make an altar right where you're sitting. Father God, I thank you today for reminding us that whatever it is that I'm facing, whatever it is that I'm in the middle of right now, in the middle of 2021, Jesus is at the center of it all. Your love is abounding towards us. Your help is available to us. And your son, our song, has now become our salvation and our deliverer. So God, today we rejoice in the God of our salvation. We thank you that today, because of your presence in our life, Lord, we can look triumphantly even over our enemies. And God, today as we receive these emblems of communion, we celebrate the faithfulness of our God. And in his name we pray, and all of God's people said amen. Let's receive the bread and the juice together.